I don't know if there are really any uh, Hungarian dishes that don't involve gravy or some sort of like, <laughs> yeah, thick ass point. sauce, you know. <laughs> damn podcast here <laughs> all right uh episode 97 gearbuds podcast i'm henry we've got dave on the phone hey and i am so excited we have a guest on the line with us today from chicago unfortunately not in the same room with us yet we're we're working on that as a society we have colin sipas joining us what's up man what's up colin? hey thank guys thanks so much for having me this is a real blast it's a treat oh Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, I, I knew I, I knew that when we first met, this was going to have to happen someday. So here we are, thankfully, uh, sometime later, getting after it. But uh, Colin is a super talented, amazing uh, multi multi hyphenate composer, uh, mixer, uh, producer, what all these sorts of things that uh, we're going to talk about later. Uh, that <laughs> I, I have so many questions about. So thank you for being with us. Absolutely. Let's dive in. Symphony of Corrections. Uh, here's your weekly reminder that cables are tone tubes. Oh, I actually also have to say this before we get much further in that I want to say Colin is the most prepared guest we've ever had. Because <laughs> sometimes, you know, we 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 dabble with professionals here from mm-hmm. time to time, and they usually know what they're doing. But Colin, not not only did he uh, preemptively ask me if if I needed a photo, which is usually something I have to wow. hound people for, and yeah. then frankly have to wind up hunting down myself anyways. <laughs> um, but also he asked me if what what resolution we were going to be recording in. And oh, I can't man. tell you how many times I've t- had to convert <laughs> files that now I just don't even bother asking anymore. I just get so used to it. So thank you thank from you. the bottom of my engineering heart. <laughs> my pleasure, man. It's honestly, I'm, it's it's the way I'm wired. Uh, I'm usually the one doing the hounding, so, uh, <laughs> so I appreciate it. Perfect. <laughs> oh, well, making my life better, so thank you. Also, thank you for listening to this. Everybody listening to this right now and in the past, it's super awesome. And we are very excited about the number of growth that we see every week. So thank we you. For, and you. also thank you for, for reaching out and like talking to us. We love that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. that's that's cool. Keep doing that. Follow Instagram uh, at Gearbuds Podcast and Facebook. Subscribe, Spotify, Apple, those places. I've got a pretty good touch and tips with Dave that I just want to jump into right now. Ready. Um, so... Uh, I was watching. I've been I've been watching an awful lot of lot, a lot of the YouTube as I want to do, but particularly engineering a recording YouTube. And I discovered this sort of like old crudely series of George Massenberg videos from uh, crudely made George Massenberg videos from like fifteen years ago or something. Anyways, it was there was a lot of interesting stuff, and I pulled a couple uh, interesting drum miking techniques from it. But the reason I'm bringing it up now is because uh, he also just because he's George Massenberg told just any story that he felt like telling. And he told this story about, um, uh, somehow I don't remember even how he got into it, but he was talking about the original Leslie Hammond combination, how like, you know, the Leslie or or Hammond, Oregon, Leslie speaker cabinet and how Mr. Leslie and Mr. Hammond fucking hated each other. Like despite the fact that these two, these two companies, they're known to go together forever. Like as humans, they just, outright despised like, wow, each other no it's like chocolate and peanut yeah. butter hating each <laughs> yeah, other right <laughs> yes, eternal enemies so the next time you're, you're you know you're you're making your organ sounds just remember that those gentlemen really did not like that each almost other. But didn't he also, work out <laughs> it almost didn't and he also told a story about um sneaking into this uh, bill putnam designed echo chamber uh, to smoke weed and uh and he made he made one of my favorite puns that i've ever heard because he's he like told this story about smoking weed in there and then he's like it has a certain 
resonance. And I was just uh. like, you're my hero now for the rest of my life, George Massenberg. Thank you for that. Dude, anytime there's so. a stoner dad joke, man, that's that's perfect. Yep. Yeah, I love it. And coming from someone like that who's just, you know, this sort of uh, god in, in the world. Um, that's amazing. I was very excited about that. So uh, maybe we'll have to post those videos or something like that. Uh, friends of the show, we were talking about it a little bit beforehand. Um, our, our very good friend, Balthazar Delay from Balthazar Audio Systems, yeah. has been teasing his new bass amp on Instagram, and I can't be more excited Dude, about I, that. he posted a picture of a, a Ampeg B15, I think it was. and um, Flip top. Flip top. Oh, God. That's so awesome, man. I'm so pumped. I'm ready. I'm ready to, to get a Balthazar. I mean, that's just... That's Colin, really Colin I know you happen to have a ball to yourself, don't you? I do, yeah. I have the Film Noir 18, the combo. Mm, and yes. I, as I was telling you before, man, I, I'm I'm totally beyond smitten with it. It's uh, it's it's kind of the amp I've always wanted, and I and I bought it on sight unseen before I before I even played it, wow. because I just I know Balti and did, uh, you know anything. Yeah, his his attention to detail is is incomparable. So anything that he He's is excited to put out, yeah, I I know it's going to be good. So that's right. How do you uh, how do you find yourself using your Balti? Uh, so these days. You know, I'm working every day from my home studio, which has mm-hmm. been a, a you know a real dream and, and you know kind of my sanctuary these days through COVID. But uh, so I can't really turn it up, so I primarily use it through uh, one of those old Palmer boxes. Are you, are you familiar nice. with those? Sure, yeah, yeah. Speaker simulator. Yeah, and at some point I'll uh, move up to the Ox just because it's nice to to have different cab mm-hmm. combinations and and mic placements uh, control to be able to get a mic off of the cab. You know, I've never been a huge fan of uh, super close mic'd uh, cabs, so I like a little bit of air. So it'd be it'd be great mm-hmm. to, to have that control. But these days as I'm composing, everything is just kind of set up in cockpit format, so I have everything ready to go. Yeah. Well, Wurlitzer, uh, tons of virtual instruments, uh, the, the Balti amp and a two rock mm-hmm. right behind me ready to uh, patch in at any moment, hitting a pedal board. Uh, lots of guitars, you know, everything's ready to go. So it's, it's, yeah. it's just like kind of a little, little heaven right there. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So, that, you know, the, awesome. the idea and I've been working at it like COVID through COVID. It's just been yeah. really nice to inch by inch, you know, uh, improve, like make improvements of everything in the chain. So that way the ideas can flow that much faster. So that's removing those impediments to creativity while still yeah. getting a, a, a an end product that you're super proud of because it's easy to move fast and then yeah. make something really shitty but if you can move fast and then also make something that you deem worth, worthwhile i think that's i mean that's, that's the, the dream. goal man yeah 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 badass i think glad the you, execution for there. me you know that's that's the fun part so i uh I, I just don't like things getting in the way of it so i you know work really hard to to have a, a, a setup that's so streamlined and uh but yeah, it's been really fun for me to just geek out and, and uh, explore, you know, new sounds, <laughs> new new processes through throughout COVID and working in my own space because I used to commute downtown to River North, so that was, you know, it's nice right. to remove that where uh, you're just you is have that it, your whole studios, your whole studios, yeah, and and I uh, I work for them full time, have been uh, since 2011 as a uh, uh, engineer, mixer, composer, and we primarily work on a lot of short formats, uh, commercial work. But we also yeah. do, you know, a lot of web-based content, TV, radio, um, internet, some film work, uh, some uh, app-based work. We've done some spatial audio stuff. 
Ooh, that's that's fascinating. I definitely I know that it's not uh, sort of fully complete at, at the moment. I know your, your website's <clears throat> in progress, but I did check out uh, some of the stuff in your reel on the Vimeo, and yeah, there's a, a lot of impressive work. And even just the commercial stuff, it's like I think I've seen that Jeep commercial before. That's badass. Like you've done some, some super <laughs> cool stuff, and definitely can't wait to to learn all sorts of stuff about that uh, in a little bit. Cool. Uh, yeah, there's. I, I've got a couple more updates. Gearbudspodcast.com slash free stuff. I don't have anything free to talk about this week. There is all sorts of stuff in there. I did want to bring it up because I'm just very excited that uh, Live 11, Ableton Live 11, released worldwide officially on Tuesday. Oh, yeah. So yeah, nice. I'm very excited about that. You know, I, we've talked about it a bit on the show before. I've been a, a beta user of it. So I, I, I knew what was coming, but it still just feels really good to have the actual release out there. And, and now I can, like, not worry about recording stuff and have it glitching out. I mean, I'm, I'm still going to worry about that, but, uh, you know, I have a little more confidence in it i have to be honest though i am recording in 10 right now i haven't actually made the leap to 11 for the podcast yet that'll probably happen next week but there's so many awesome features in there that just like you know the rest of the world i've been enjoying in pro tools that are now here for me that i just i'm i cried tears of joy when it happened so yeah. uh, we have playlists now yay all right bad fucking ideas uh here's one here's <laughs> the here, i've got a i've got a just a Craigslist screenshot here. There, there's been for those following along. There's just been this weird war of attrition going on between a whole bunch of parties on the uh, Chicago musical man. instruments it's so uh, Craigslist page. And this guy, I don't even know who, which 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 person this one is. I wish and they I, would I don't even know what he's talking like, about. I wish yeah. they would like have a little signature at the bottom or something because yeah, I don't know which one's which. Going back, I can't decide who I like more or hate more. So sure. the, this article uh, or the the headline was or the subject line to click was got a good idea, comma wipe it i don't i don't know what that means wipe it and this is mind you this is in the musical instruments category so the photo there's one photo and it's uh ramsey bolton for those unfamiliar with game of thrones Mm -hmm. perhaps the most homicidal horrible character in the show it's a picture of him (laughs) holding a sausage and the 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 body has got a good idea wipe it buddy it's such a either you're like either your who knows yeah or your stanky ass just shut up and get off here yeah uh, who are you talking this to? This is our same what? friend from last week because remember it looks like prose almost like the way he writes it. It's not like a paragraph. It's like a poem. <laughs> it's it's a it's a it's a, it's, a, yeah, it's, it's in verse form. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah. He, he he. This man is some sort of poet. And again, I hate to gender, but you know that this is a fucking idiot man. There is no way a woman's <laughs> doing this. Uh, I got a good idea. Wipe it, buddy. I don't know. I love I'm it. There's sure a war going, going on here. between like at least at least two people on Craigslist right now, and I, I love it. I'm here for it. Uh, oh, man, my God. I'm, I'm behind so on my Craigslist drama. I'll have to you you, <laughs> oh, you got to catch up, man. What you need to do is after this, go search Wurlitzer. Search and Wurlitzer. And see, like, the 30 posts of this same Wurlitzer guitar that these guys are fighting about. It's amazing. I'm sure that they're up right now. Like, it's some guy's constant. really upset that this guy wants a certain amount of money for this guitar, and he can't sell it. And so he keeps it's reposting so his ad. The other guy keeps copying his ad and then changing all the text into, like, insane ramblings it's dildos and yeah butt just plugs and madness stuff. dude it's it's really uh it's, it's great. great drama great drama for a slow Thursday. free entertainment mm-hmm. and oh, free, free content for the pod speaking of something that is content but wasn't free i have to tell i, I i've been teasing dave i got I, I got some new gear yesterday that came and i wouldn't tell him what it was mm. because of who we have on the phone right now okay. so uh <laughs> i uh and 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 for those uh 
that have been keeping track. Uh, there's something coming out called the Pedal Movie, mm. and uh, we've been tracking it. There, you know, the Daniel Orkin in particular is a friend of mine. We've we've been teasing having him on. Well, Colin happens to have mixed the audio for this film, and I have been dying to get a certain pedal. They've been releasing these pedals in these like little yeah. little small batches to tease you and get people excited about the movie. And when the last one came out, I tried to get myself a Bliss Factory, which is mm. the collaboration between Zvex and Chase Bliss, where they took a Fuzz Factory and then Chase Bliss did and made it all MIDI and crazy controllable and stuff. Well, my friends, they did a second release on Tuesday and I got mine yesterday. Did you? I am so excited. It's fucking Congrats. awesome. Oh my god. Oh I'm my so god. I'm so jealous and also I hate you because <laughs> I missed fucking I missed awesome. out on it. I yeah, wanted to- I I was sitting there on Tuesday. I knew that it was the launch was happening Tuesday morning, just sitting there waiting on my computer waiting for it to happen and it did and I got it and my friends that I hap- I mentioned that I was playing through the the Balthazar. I was playing the Bliss, Bliss Factory through the Balthazar, wow. and it is everything that I could ever dream of. It is That's fucking awesome. rad. I There's mean, no doubt. If you're a fan mind. of the Fuzz Factory, it's it's the it, I have built and owned all of the Fuzz Factories, and it is mm-hmm. the best of the Fuzz Factories. It's no fucking shit. crazy because Th- not only such does a it just sound like heaven, that. Those those guys. Yeah. yeah well, it, yeah, because the, I mean, the Fuzz Factory is like almost uncontrollable in itself like when you for instance when you have one of the knobs all the way up uh, i think it's like the stab knob the drive knob just doesn't do anything anymore so it's this like really weird circuit it's really a fuzz face that's like fucked up but now to have a low pass filter controllable on there and it's the fat fuzz factory the fatter foot fuzz factory so you can use it on bass it's just it's a dream pedal my friends it is so rad uh, how amazing. many like how many did they make like how limited is the release yeah. Well, I know that the first release was a thousand. I don't. I think it might have been a thousand for the second one, but I They're I gone. know that I I have serial number one zero zero seven. So, oh wow, cool. Um, wow. I don't, I'm not sure, but it's as soon awesome. as I because so uh, I've been in the cave a lot. We we literally just wrapped up mixing the whole film, and uh, so the day I found out that it was the second release had come out. Uh, about an hour later, I, I found out that it was sold out. So it was, wow. it was, it was such a tease. I couldn't <laughs> jump on it fast enough. They, they're also, there were four pedals. I know that um, I was actually talking to a friend of the show, former guest Dan Liu about it. He was thinking about getting uh, the way huge effect pedal um, because it, uh, it's just called the effect pedal. Once he found out that it's just a swollen pickle rehoused uh, mm-hmm. and with a new art or whatever, he was like, yeah, I don't know if I necessarily do that. But I thought that was hilarious. And I and I considered buying it. If I couldn't have, if the Bliss Factory had been sold out, I probably would have bought the way huge. But th- I think that one sold out even before the the uh, Bliss Factory did. Either way, that's enough of me bragging for now. Oh, uh, but awesome. I'm seriously so <laughs> fucking same, happy with it. Making me real jealous over here. Yeah, you're you're welcome to try it anytime you want. And, and I mean, the I fact is that. you happen you happen to know some people. So, you know, maybe you can uh, figure something out. Sure. Um, sure. All right. Ooh, Dave, we got to talk about this. Um, uh, you and I were, you, you're, uh, you sent me a link yesterday to one of, uh, it was a reverb listing for a particular guitar, a guitar that you happen to own. And it got us on this little track oh, that yeah. we thought we needed to mention uh, real that quick was, here for us. Yeah, I sent you that. Um, I've got that. Uh, uh, it's, an, it's a 1980s uh, Japanese Stratocaster in the pink paisley finish. They only made a yep. few of them. And uh, I got mine for a good deal. We were talking last week about how ridiculous prices are going right now. Like everything seems to be getting just way more and more expensive. Market's way up. And then I was like, I thought about something and I I saw basically the exact same guitar that I own. And it's insanely, it's like three times as much as I paid for it, the guy's asking. And I'm like, I guess I'm going to keep this thing. So it really is, (laughs) it, it really does suck unless you own this equipment, you know, unless you own the stuff that the price is going up, that uh, everything's getting so expensive. But uh, 
yeah, I'm going to be hanging on to that for a little bit. Um, well, the, least... and the point is, is that is that we like to bellyache about, oh, the market's so expensive. Right. Well, people pay these prices, but the second it's your fucking guitar that's now worth that much money, it's like, well, that's fair. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that works for me. Right. Yeah, <laughs> I'm good. Strangely, yeah, I'm cool it. with it now. Yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> I, you know, the, someone, uh, one of my coworkers, uh, the creative director at Earhole, uh, we we talk here all the time, and he texted me the other day, and he said, "Have you?" Uh, he said, "You have, you still have your Clown KTR, right?" And I said, "Yeah." He said, "When did you? When was the last time you checked out the prices?" I said, "Oh, I don't know. It's been a while." He said, "Check uh-huh. it." Because <laughs> oh, yeah. the, I mean, the, you know, the original clones obviously were, you know, right. it's, it's yeah. such a coveted, inflated price, but the KTRs were still, you know, extremely reasonable in price. Even yeah, three, four hundred bucks. Yeah, but now, man, I, I'm glad I got mine under four hundred, yeah. and it's it's like a thousand now. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Well, that sounds right. Yeah. Well, the the, well, the reason we started talking about this last week is I have the Moog analog delay, like the big Moger Foger, um, and I got it. It was still expensive when I got it some years ago, but um, I was going to make a trade recently, and you know, in my mind, I sort of was thinking, yeah, it's worth about maybe fourteen hundred bucks or so. And then uh, I happened to just thankfully check sold listings, and it's the cheapest one for sales, like twenty five hundred bucks right now. It's fucking crazy. So yeah, I backed out of the deal. But wow, you know. That's nice. This stuff will also will also (laughs) regulate. So I guess it's a matter of like how deciding how important it is to you. It's like if if you want to hold on to it, well, it's probably going to be worth less monetarily in the future. But if it's something you use all the time, then kind of who gives a shit, really? Yeah, sure. Yeah. And and gear really, you know, especially instrument type of gear, it really uh, comes full circle. I've I've noticed like things that I've have thought about selling for years. I almost you know nine times out of ten i've been so glad that i held on to because you've you mm-hmm. repurp you know things repurpose your your process changes your uh you know your your creativity is always in flux so you know there's been a lot of things that i have come back around where i'm like oh my god i'm so glad i didn't dump that because yeah. now it's one of my favorite pieces of gear and you just yeah. you get used to looking at things in your room and, and <laughs> you, f- you forget about them and then mm-hmm. when they're right in front of you but i think the gear market is it's in a really interesting place right now it's kind of the wild west because yeah the the prices are way up but Mm -hmm. there's also you know a lot of this has to do with the pandemic obviously you know people are uh dumping gear i've been watching a lot and um i just got a brand new um rupert neve uh the 5059 summing uh summing amp for mixing and it's you know Occasionally, I've been having my eye on it for a long time, but you know, it was—it's a want, not a need. And mm-hmm. you know, I was thinking, you know, at some point, I'll up, upgrade my rascal, you know, from the rascal audio that I'm using now. But uh, a lot of people, you know, if you're if you're watching these little, very short bursts of uh, perfect opportunities come up, and yep. this guy Agreed. bought a bunch of gear, brand new, and then had an oh shit moment, and then realized. I can't afford this or something changed. And so mm-hmm. he, so he flipped it and, uh, I got the, the knee for about, I don't know, almost, almost a thousand cheaper than it would have been new. And oh, it wow. was brand new. Jeez. He took it out of the box, out of the factory wrapping just to take photos and then put it back. <laughs> he had never even powered it on. 
Wow, that's crazy. No kidding. Yeah, that's that's, a, that's. I mean, you're right. It's 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 this sort of like we we jokingly call it COVID hawking. It's like you just sort of sit there and wait. Sometimes those deals do pop up. A fr- quick, we won't say too, who it obviously. is, but a, a friend of ours just recently bought like a fucking. 64 channel SSL like and he's not even a, a, a like an engineer it's but like the, the deal <laughs> fell into his lap and yeah. so you oh, know, wow. he now owns the biggest console I've ever seen uh, so <laughs> and but, and neither a uh, storage space or uh, he, he's a he's a person that has a lot of yeah he's got he's got a lot of stuff and a lot of room he doesn't for have room it, so for it no no to answer your but question, but has, has the, well no there's no there's nowhere to have it like to have it set up but like he has somewhere to just yeah. like have it stored. I think he with, has with a, something like that, you kind of just like you have to gut it. You have to sell all those as just like individual channels or something yeah. like that. Because mm-hmm. yeah. who the fuck wants a full giant? You don't. You have to have a specially built place to put the console in. It's like oh, you build heavy. the room around the console essentially. Yeah. You know, yeah, and it's heck. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, man. Otherwise, it's useless. I mean, what good is all that if it sounds great, but it doesn't? It's intermittent. Right. Yeah. The, the con- consoles so, are, uh, it's a crazy category because what a lot of people don't realize is you're almost paying twice as amount in cables too. So just to plug the whole oh, oh my yeah. God, thing seriously. in is... it's a good point. Yeah. All those D-subs. Getting, yeah, getting, buying all those, yeah, D-subs and then like get, if you've got a live room, all the snake or pat, like all that shit, yeah, it, it fucking adds up. Um, and I've, I've spent too much money on that myself, which is what, why eventually all of us learn how to just make our own cables, even though soldering D, DB25 connectors is the, like the biggest pain in the ass in the world. <laughs> um, that, and that's where you, you find out why people pay hundreds, hundreds of bucks for it. Yeah. Uh, one last thing before we leave this really fast, I have to mention. So uh, before we went to tape last week, I was in the process of making a deal that I then made. So I now um, have this beautiful Nord Electro in front of me um, that I didn't have before. But so what I, I traded, and it was a very good deal on my end, I will say. I'm very excited about it because it, it's sort of this want versus need thing. I had this beautiful old mandolin. Um, I'm barely a mandolin player. I never use it. And I got it for almost nothing. And I was able to do a straight trade for this thing. Well, anyways, the reason I'm telling you, and Dave, I haven't told you this yet. Yeah. So this was this mandolin was, it was from the 60s. It was basically mint. It was super clean the original case super, was super, super clean, clean. Yeah. so we make this deal and the dude meets me he like drives from the burbs meets me on, on my, the corner of my block you know we're all masked up we do the thing and so i hand him he goes to hand me like the nord comes in a case he goes to hand it to me and i and i hand him the mandolin uh it's like so we could just like sort of each check out the thing and right. he immediately takes what i would consider the most mint vintage piece of gear i've ever owned in my life takes it and t- puts the case right into the fucking snowbank. What? And I let out. I let out like a little. Like I, I yelped when he fucking did it. I just Whoa. couldn't believe it. And in my mind, I was like, I don't care if he doesn't want this thing anymore. That's his fucking mandolin now because he yeah, just he just bought it. A mid case in the Wait, He set it down bank. in the snow. I mean, I know that yeah, we had dude. a lot of snow last week, but like, what? Uh, there was it, it was we were on a, 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 a you know a shoveled sidewalk he could have right. put it on the sidewalk <laughs> I, I i swear to god i i mean i wish i had a recording of this i think i screamed a little bit. <laughs> that's funny man oh my god did you you didn't say anything you were just like oh well, no i was right. like no instantly a switch flipped in my brain because i was a little sad about giving this up i had a little uh, attachment to it. it was a beautiful thing yeah um but the second that happened switch flip oh don't care about that anymore <laughs> that's yours now right. wow I applaud you. I probably would have gotten pretty proud on the guy. I would have been like, "You don't deserve this. Deal over." <laughs> <laughs> if if the if it wasn't so heavily weighed in my favor in favor in terms of both monetary and useful value, I would have. But yeah. no, because I I also have always really wanted a Nord, so it's like just is he a, like was he like one yeah. of those old school guys that's kind of like you know the old school like you just throw the case no. in the snow and you grab I think, the case. I mean, just... I couldn't tell we're masked up, but I thought he was younger than me. I'm not sure. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Well. 
<laughs> Maybe it was high. I don't, I don't think I don't think he knew. I just don't <laughs> think he knew. I think on, my my assumption is that for some reason he really wanted to unload this keyboard and was just looking yeah. for a way to make a trade for yeah. it. Like I, I think I don't know what it was going on, but I tell you what, I have gone through every single feature on this thing. It is as brand new. I even went. Through, I, I he had some stupid ass presets saved in there. Sorry mm-hmm. if you're listening to this, man, but your preset sucked. Uh, so I just did a full <laughs> factory reset and and cool. then upgraded the like system, and it's it's perfect. It sounds awesome. absolutely amazing. So yeah, don't put. Beautiful. I guess moral of story, uh, don't put someone else's thing uh, into a snowbank. Yeah, yeah. Until the deal's done, then you can throw all that's, your shit in the snow if you want. God, yeah, do whatever shocking. the fuck you want Is with it. it. They're so oblivious. Even yeah. if they do those things on their own, like you, you would think that he would not do it in front of you. Yeah. Plus, like, <laughs> yeah, that's that's odd, man. Wow, that's really funny. It was so that. weird. I did not. I, you know, Dave, I got to keep this. I got to keep it spicy between us. I got to save some stuff uh, for well, it, the show. It reminds me of like, uh, we, you know, we joke about I send you pictures of people that take their guitars for sale and they put them next to like their swimming pool. Next and to I'm like, pool. I'm like, oh, God, please. Like, it just gives me anxiety looking at it. And I, I have seen yeah. uh, pictures of the guitar in the snow before, too. That's uh, yeah, that's a classic. Just a, just a trigger, trigger. Just a troll. Uh, yeah, total troll. Post, exciting. Right? Excitables. Love it. Well, congrats yeah, on the Nord pickup. Y- yeah, man, thanks. Yeah, huge. it's it sounds so good. Oh, I'm so excited. And and really, the the reason that I love it so much is that I'm like you know a mediocre keyboardist at best. But uh, because it's got full MIDI and USB over MIDI, pop that shit in, and all of a sudden everything that I've ever like chopped up and made and whatever, I can just run that back through. So all my like sort of shitty electronic electric piano sounds and organs and stuff, all of a sudden they're gonna start sounding a lot better now. So Hell I've created yeah. a little extra work for myself, but uh, I've already started experimenting experimenting with that dave i think i sent you one thing yeah um, yeah it sounds awesome, it sounds dude. great I'm yeah, super can you anyways. can you swap back and forth between midi controller and onboard sounds with mm. a button you, not only can you swap but you can do them uh concurrently and independently no it's fucking really? wild. Oh, with, wow. with split with split layers and then there are i think it's eight separate split points oh on my there. god dude, it's that's so rad that was that was the thing that put it over the edge for me i was like oh this is my new master controller now too it's it does everything for me that's oh, amazing super cool and it's semi-weighted yeah. It's a 73 key semi-weighted waterfall action. It's which I'll admit, like I had gotten pretty used. I have a real piano too, but like I almost never play it. I'd gotten pretty used to just like my synth action ass uh, MIDI controller. Yeah. And if you play for a while, like it's a little harder, like having a semi-weighted it, right? thing. Yeah. yeah, it's like you got to build up a little finger strength to do that again. But it's way better. The the velocity sensitivity and everything is like not even in the same ballpark. Oh, oh that's yeah. so cool. That's awesome, dude. What a dream for uh, for. Uh, I uh, I don't almost, I don't know if I even want to say this word right now, but for for the stage, you know, it's <laughs> to have, <laughs> to, to have uh, all that flexibility of sounds like a you know like three different keyboards laid out in one. That's amazing. Yep. Well, and this the thing that's really exciting to me about it is so it's got of course the full piano engine, the organ engine, but it also has a third. They call it a synth engine, but it's really a sample engine. And there's a, a software interface called Nord Sample Editor, and you can load in any samples, any anything you want. So what I, I was I was kind of thinking about that the project that I'm working on right now, like we're never going to do like a full live rock band thing, but we're kind of talking about ways that we could maybe do it a two or three person version of it. And this keyboard would be perfect for that because even the sounds that aren't in here, I can just sample whatever soft synth bullshit that I have in the computer, throw it in there, and then it's I've just got it in the Nord already. So yeah, it's yeah. it's super smart. Yeah, I'm really into it. We have now successfully made it through the symphony, and that means that I get to now say my two favorite words that I get to say every single week, and those words are Dave's Docs! Ooh, baby. Like what do you got, that. dude? Nice intro, man. I So every once in a while, a Dave's Doc comes along, and I go, I can't believe I haven't seen this yet. Mm. It just it blows my mind, because I feel like over the last year or whatever, I've seen 
pretty much every documentary there is about every band there is. Um, not true. Uh, I'm talking about I'm talking about the American Beatles. I'm talking about the Four Horsemen. I'm talking about Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. Fifty Whoa. by Four available on Amazon. Dude. I mean, I don't, you know, I know, hold I know on, you're a Neil hold Young. On, hold on, hold on a second yep, here. Yep, did you just ahead. call Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young the American Beatles? I did not call them that. Somebody <laughs> in the movie definitely called them that. And I, I think, I mean, they've got a point, man. They've got a point indeed. I'm, um, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to sit here and wait for you to make that point. All right. Well, I'm, I'm not going to defend the idea that, you know, <laughs> the Beatles, you know, obviously the Beatles are the Beatles, but I will say it, it's, it's interesting when you look at it. So they formed, they weren't really a band. They never called themselves a band. Right. What they were is four separate songwriters who worked together, worked apart from each other, and they were just constantly making music. If you wanted to be involved, you could. If you didn't, that was cool too. So they really had this, this la-di-da kind of attitude. And I think that goes, you know, that kind of went into their music and their songwriting. Um, so in that sense, you know, they all had their own solo careers. You know, they they kind of they all work together and separately. I think, you know, I think there's a case to be made that uh, if there was an American Beatles, it would be Crosby, Stills, Hmm. Nash and Young. Um, But I'll go on to say, um, you know, just a really cool movie, a long movie. I think I told you yesterday, Henry, I was like, I'm in for like a three hour movie. Uh, made, Made it all the way through. I could say you could probably watch the first half of it and be like, okay, we're good. Because then they get into the modern stuff and it's, you know, it's more like the drug use stuff and kind of the downfall. And it's some of that stuff I don't really like to see. Um, you, you know it happened, but it's hard to watch some of the footage, you know, when they're like all fucked up on stage and everything. But oh, it's, yeah. uh, I, I, there's, there's so many cool little stories I didn't know about them. I mean, for, for people who don't know, Stills and Young were in Buffalo Springfield. Uh, and then Neil quit. And then, you know, David Crosby like sat in with them. And then, you know, he was in the Birds and they were like the biggest band in the world at the time. So they always had like this clout going along with them. And then when Graham Nash moved to LA, he was in uh, the Hollies. So like they all kind of had this like big background. You could honestly say, I think they were a super group. You know, I never really thought oh, about definitely. it. Definitely. Absolutely. We, you know, we go through our, our talk of like, what are the greatest super groups ever? I mean, if you don't put a, you know, if you don't put CSNY up there, like, you know, I don't know what you're doing. Um, yeah, that's fair. I feel like they're, they're not the first one that usually comes to mind, but you're right. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. I didn't even think of it until I saw this movie and, and kind of realized like, wow, they all came from like, you know, these mega bands already. I thought it was funny that um, I didn't know before they asked Neil Young to be in the band. They tried to get, there's a funny story. They tried to get Steve Winwood in the band and I guess they came to his house and like they walked up this muddy hill and they go into his house and he's like hiding in the bedroom. He never came out. Like he was like afraid of them for some reason. He like didn't want to be in their band or he was on drugs or something. But like they like waited for him and he just never answered the door. So they're like, all right, huh. well, that's that's that. Uh, we'll ask Eric Clapton. Clapton had no intentions of being in the band either. Um, and then they asked Neil and he was already in the band with, uh, you know, with, with Stephen Stills. So, you know, they already knew each other. They're like, is this going to work? You know, he's got a big personality. We, you know, as a three piece, we already had this kind of good thing going. But uh, they get him in, and obviously, you know, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young was uh, was kind of born from there. Um, there was a, so. Tell me, Dave. Yeah. I've got to ask. And one of my my sort of like generalized understanding of the group is that they only, they never really sort of like got along. Like I feel like yeah. there's this like animosity among yeah. all of them. Yeah, that's, is that is that true? Yeah, absolutely. There was a power struggle the whole time. Like Stephen Stills really was like I guess you could say the alpha of all the alphas because they kind of all were alphas in their own bands, and then they formed this band, and then Stephen Stills was kind of he kind of stepped up. He was the ideas guy. He was always like, you know, grabbing the engineer in the studio and be like, all right, now I want to do an organ part. All right, now I want to do this. Now I want to do drums. Like he was just all over the place. And they were kind of a little more like, all right, man, like do your thing. And then when that, you know, obviously when the fame and the money really kicked in, 
um, that's when it became you know a real problem. And they had issues. That, I think that's why they always kind of did their own thing. And it's really funny. I didn't know this. They were on it. They got signed to Atlantic Records, and they got signed under the terms that they were allowed to come and go as they please. Like, and, and they could go doing their own projects and whoever wrote the song owned the song. And so it was really this kind of like, it sounds like a really good idea at first, but then you start to realize like, if you don't have like just the one guy kind of maybe doing the majority of the work, you're, you know, you're going to fall apart if everybody's kind of going in their own direction all the time. Yeah. That and sounds like a, a business nightmare to wrangle. Yes. Yeah. And it <laughs> sounded kidding. so perfect. Like, so flower powery. Like at first they're like, man, you know, it just doesn't matter, man. We're just going to like be high. And like, they had this rule that like, if we're going to the studio, there was two rules. If you go to the studio, whoever wrote the most of the song gets like, gets the credits for the song. The second rule was if you're fighting with your girlfriend or wife, don't come into the studio, go figure that out, even if you have to leave for like three days and then come back and we'll and we'll work. So they just didn't want any kind of like external drama, no matter what it was, coming into the studio into their sessions, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, it is interesting. It's yeah. kind of a strange way to handle it, but I, I I guess I sort of understand what they're what they're trying to accomplish. Yeah, yeah. It, I, I thought that was uh I thought that was kind of cool. And oh, I didn't know this. I forget the name of the engineer, and I'm sure he's like famous and I'm totally blowing it right now, but whoever recorded the first <laughs> record. Um so they did um oh god, what's the song? I think it was like Judy Blue Eyes or something like that. And mm-hmm. th- they have this super overcompressed, super top end trebly sound. And the engineer was just like fumbling with all the knobs as they're like recording because they recorded in the dark and he kind of just left the thing rolling. It wasn't like, all right, guys, one, two, three, here we go. They kind of just left it rolling and they'd come and go. So they're over there doing their three-part harmonies. One guy's got a guitar, one guy's got a bass. And they're doing all this stuff. And then, you know, the engineer's like, this is a nightmare. Like, this sounds awful. The, the vocals are really, really high in the mix and they're really trebly, overcompressed. So they come out and they're like, we love it, man. It sounds perfect. And he's like, he's like, yeah, you got it, dude. That's exactly what I was going for. And I, and I was, you know, and I was going to ask you too, Colin, like how many times does that happen where you go into a situation where, you know, you don't really know how it's going to turn out. And then the band's like, dude, this is, this is perfect, you know, or vice versa. Maybe it's uh doesn't sound like they want it to, you know, but. I think I've always been pretty well on the same page with artists I've worked with. Um, yeah. Every once in a while, I, you know, I think they, I don't know. I think you know they know that I'm I'm gonna keep pushing until I am happy with it. But um, I don't know. I've never really had that much of a struggle with it, to be honest. Where there was a, a difference in opinion, where where I was like, I can't give you what you're looking for, or yeah, you know, or yeah, I don't I, agree, or uh, I just thought it was great because the guy's like he he's like, well, I've never had this kind of band in here, you know, doing this like basically live acoustic session, and you know he's so he's like, I don't know how much compression to use. I don't know like what to do here. So he just presses a bunch of buttons and hits a bunch of knobs, and then it turns out like that becomes their sound essentially for you know their next three or four records, you know, going forward. Well, that, that reminds me of something I heard recently. Uh, Eric Valentine, you know, famous producer, Ugh. engineer, dude. One um, of my he favorites. Has a ton of awesome YouTube content, <clears throat> which I've sort of been slowly making my way through recently. And one of the things he said, he's said it a few times that has stuck with me is that when he's working with someone or making a record or whatever it is, he's got this this priority in his brain of, of how or, or of, of who he's trying to please. Mm. And number number one is always the band. Mm-hmm. So it's like the 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 art the artist the whoever it is that you're working with like their their opinion is most important. Then their their label, you know, who who they have to answer to. There's reasons for that business reasons, but then it's not until 3 that he says himself. 
So it's like right, it do, right. I don't. It's not. It doesn't matter if I think this is fucking hip and like mm-hmm. oh shoot, like I want to throw a whole bunch of bottom end on this kick drum, whatever it is. Right. If that's not what the artist is into or what they want to do, it, it doesn't matter because yeah, you know, it's it, they're the ones paying the bill. They're, they're, they're the reason oh, we're doing yeah. this. Yeah, I think that's a hundred percent the way it should be. Right. He's incredible on all aspects. He's he's such a stand up creative mind. Yeah, but he's also such a stand-up technical mind too. Yeah. Starting undertone audio and doing like the unfair child and all the console stuff. It's I, I aspire to to his his level of greatness and and can he also made one of my all-time favorite records, "Song for the De- Songs of the Deaf." Oh, but then yeah, also yeah. can go and make like fucking all the Smash Mouth and Taking Back <laughs> right. Sunday records, like these huge you know multi-selling records. It's not just like one thing. He's mm-hmm. just super talented dude. Yeah, yeah. he uh, he completely opened my eyes to rethinking mid-range. You know. Like, I feel like as a young engineer, everybody thinks in terms of smiley curves, you know, the, uh, (laughs) you know, the the scooped approach and, uh, you know, he, the songs for the deaf is just mid range more, 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 more mid range on top of it, on top of it, on top of it. And it sounds huge. And it, it, it's just like a flamethrower out of your speakers. And, uh, so I feel like that really calibrated me to a a different approach of, of tone. And yeah, he's, he's got it. Whoever, uh, whoever takes, takes over his studio because I, I know he's, yeah. he's moving out of it he's got big shoes to fill if you've got four million dollars to buy barefoot records which you know interesting choice of words uh, shoes to fill because uh, he doesn't wear <laughs> shoes in there sure. uh, it's for sale and I think the I think the console comes with it too like the undertone console Ooh. that he has in there is part of it okay. so if you got four million it's, it could be yours I think it, I think the the arrangement is that the whole staff stays and they're, they're just looking for investors to kind of oh, step, really? step in. Wow, I think I that's what that. I think that's what they're trying to do. That would like, be awesome. Because I follow one of the staff engineers and uh, he's I, th- I believe he's staying. Um, that's awesome. So they're I mean, looking for the right history fit, of that yeah. room. Like, you know, it, before it was barefoot, it was what crystal or something like that. And, you know, that's where like songs in the key of life and all the stevie wonder and like just tons of like hendrix recorded in their time i mean there's been a ton of shit in that in that building so sorry dave i feel like uh we just totally stole your dave's doc no 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 i I mean i was pretty much wrapping up man um all right yeah that's you know like i said you can you can probably get through the first like three quarters of it and be like i'm good you can save the last where did you watch it it's on amazon uh it's free if you have prime and uh yeah and actually there's one last thing i will say uh when they performed at woodstock um, they just did like this acoustic set, which is hilarious because like they were, you know, they were pissing themselves. You know, you had like Hendrix and like all these crazy bands doing all this amazing shit. And then they go on at like four in the morning in the rain and they're just playing on this little, you know, like it looks like they're on a little tiny stage. And uh, they do they do this cover of Blackbird. That is probably one of the most beautiful versions of that song I've ever heard in my life. So mm. uh, if anything, YouTube that and just watch that performance. It's uh, it's fucking amazing. Wow. I'll nice be man. watching the whole doc for sure. Yeah, That's, man. Uh, that might it's be my Sunday. It. It's worth <laughs> it. Man. Last night I uh, rewatched a, a doc that I tend to revisit a, a lot. Just as, Ooh, do tell. Because it kind of, it, it's one of the only music documentaries that makes me, f- that portrays what music feels like to me, you know, or just people that have been doing it all their careers and have, uh, you know, the, their stars, but they are still like giddy children about music <laughs> and doing it for the right reasons and uh, it's American Valhalla you know the making of uh, oh dude Iggy Pop's post-pop it's depression it's so good that's been, that's been a previous Dave do- Dave's doc one of my oh, first really cool. shows ever actually I watched it a, yeah that was uh, when we started the segment I think that was one of the first ones I, I did I, that blew me away and it blows me away that that movie didn't get more 
release or more attention. Like if you look up like top documentaries or top music, rock documentaries, whatever you want to call it, it's never in there. I, I feel like I've never seen it in that list. I had to go find it myself by just seeing if there was like a good Iggy pop documentary or something. So yeah, it's a little uh, buried. Yeah, yeah, it is, man. I, I absolutely recommend that to anybody. It's so fun. I have to watch it again, actually. I have to watch it for the first time because you sent it to me and I still haven't watched yeah. it. I'm such an idiot. Did you really did you get to. the file at least? Do you have it? I have the I have it. Okay, I just good. yeah, I don't know why I haven't watched it. Ding dong. <laughs> it's fantastic. It's so good. Uh, all right, Dave, I haven't asked yet though. What's your totally arbitrary based on nothing uh ranking for this? Totally one? arbitrary based on nothing ranking. Um I'm gonna give it a seven and a half out of ten. Uh mainly because like the seven first seven and a half out of ten what? Uh, seven and a half out of ten, uh, American Beatles. I don't know. I don't really have a good. <laughs> I like it. Don't really have a good uh, a good quick one for you there on that. But yeah, yeah uh, that was just, a good quick one. Like I said, the last you know the last hour of it's kind of like all right, whatever. But the first first three quarters of the movie is fantastic. So definitely check that out. Love it, dude. Thanks, man. Yo. All right, Colin. Uh, here's where we start to transition a little more about you, talk about some of what you do in your life and stuff. And the way that we get into that is with a segment that we like to call a couple two-tree randos, where I ask you a couple two-tree rando questions. The first one is, if you could swap places with any band member, any band, past or present, living or dead, doesn't matter, your talent, theirs, any of that sort of stuff, you could just swap places with anyone, who would that be and why? <laughs> <laughs> it's my favorite reaction to that question. It's always like, whoa, dude, you guys just dropped that on me. Where do I begin? <laughs> um, all, right, all right, this might be a little uh, biased just because it's fresh on my brains, but um, I would say you know, one of my favorite groups of all time is Queens of the Stone Age. So mm. if I could swap with or somehow join forces with to be an additional sideman, uh, Troy Van Leeuwen, yeah, um, dude, yeah. You know he's 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 somebody that I really admire because he he's just he's so creative and such a professional about it, and he he has, uh, I don't know, he he's just he's just one of those guys where I feel like he can do anything. You can put him in any situation, but um, he's got one of the best bands in rock, you know, and and they and they're all so versatile too. Um, that uh, and Troy I, oh, has a pretty badass signature jazz master. Yeah, to it's probably yeah, like one of my favorite yeah. jazz masters ever. I love that thing. And he's also a telly player, um, which I've, I've always been a telly player. So uh-huh. I love guys that play in heavy bands with unlikely tools because you yes, know everybody yes. was like, you know everybody thinks eh, it's a country guitar. Hell no, it's not. Hell it's, no. They're so versatile and they get such heavy performances and tones with uh, actually pretty clean tones. So mm-hmm. you know they, I, I love what they achieve but you know if i guess if i could swap places with anybody it'd be it'd be troy in in queens because uh because then i feel like that would also lead to a lot of other things because you know (laughs) josh has always got his his uh fingers in a lot of different jars so absolutely yeah it it wouldn't hurt to be in a band with a dude who's also in a band with a guy from zeppelin i mean seriously not not a bad situation to be in yeah speaking of super groups uh yeah oh (laughs) yeah that will, of course, literally when that when that word when Dave said that word, my brain thought them crooked vultures. That's just like where, mm-hmm. where I am. Yeah, mm-hmm. same here. Uh, yeah, and, and Dave Grohl the other day was talking about there's he, still rumored to want to yes. make another yeah. album, right? Yeah, so yep. we'll oh. see. I hope so. That just so just amazing. fucking teasing all of us. Just do it. <laughs> all right. Uh, have you made any New Gears resolutions? Hmm. I feel like I've been living out my gears <laughs> gear resolutions lately. Uh, 
I guess it could. I mean, you did you did mention that that beautiful uh, Neve Summing mixer, which, by the way, I don't, I don't believe we've actually properly addressed in the show. So, of course, you know, rest rest in peace, Rupert Neve uh, passed oh, away. Yeah, so we we would not be doing this today had he oh, not done all the stuff that absolutely. he's done. So, uh, what a visionary! I mean, is, yeah. I don't even know how, where to begin with that. He's just uh, his his uh, contribution to music is is there's no words for it. Um, oh. And that that was that was a strange time frame for me because I, I purchased it the night before I found out that he passed away wow. and oh, no. uh, so I was like wow this is sort of serendipitous um, yeah but um, uh, yeah yeah uh, but in terms of gear resolutions um, yeah I mean I, I feel like I've been sort of treating myself quite a bit lately because I've been <laughs> <laughs> I, I try to uh, you know I, I work for your whole and I also take on a lot of projects on the side so I always try to you know just filter the, the side cash into equipment and just keep growing it and improving my setup and whatnot and yep. so um, you know recently I actually treated myself to a uh, uh, another reverb purchase uh, the, a 1960 um, Silvertone Jupiter which is a guitar Ooh, yeah a guitar I've always wanted it just it has they're light as a feather and they just have this cool such a glassy cool tone with the uh, these are silver foil pickups. And, uh, yeah, so are those, I can't remember, are those the ones that have the almost, they're like basically just like PAFs, but in like a smaller uh, container? I know there were silver, some silver tones from that era that basically had like the essentially the same as like the super expensive Gibson pickups of the time. It's, it's not the Jupiter, is it? I don't It's like, is it three so. pickups? No, because these no, are like, two. it's two, but it's the, like a mini humbucker size gold foil, but they have the cool. silver, silver covers. Yeah. So it's, it, it sounds more like a... Um, some of them have the the solid top humbuckers, like uh, I forget what model, like the one yeah. that Leon uh, Lahavis plays. But uh, yeah, they. Well, that's badass. Yeah, she's she's one of my favorite guitar players. That's um, yeah. But, uh, but um, was there a specific reason, like <clears throat> that you're like a, a certain project or something that you you or that for that guitar, or have you just kind of always wanted one and found a good deal? You know, I I kind of have all these little things in mind. Uh, I, I look at the instruments that I have, like art supplies, right? Like they all, they're all very calculated to offset in different, different approaches, different tones. So every guitar on my rack, they, they're in, they're very different. You know, none of a, none of them really overlap in sound and tone. Mm -hmm. So I try to cover, you know, a wide range, and that, that's just a category that I hadn't really covered yet of yeah. a semi-hollow with with gold foil pickups I just really like that sound they hit, you know, get beautiful glassy clean tones but then they also distort and compress in a, mm -hmm. in a really cool way and um, so that I, I found one on reverb that you know occasionally I just kind of check you know pop in my head see what's available and then um, browse around but I saw one that was it's in such mint shape that in, in its original case that looks like it was just preserved, like it hadn't wow. been touched for years. And the the it was a guy in Indiana and in Indianapolis, and the price was really pretty respectable. Respectable. So um, I don't know. I just kind of went for it. It was a it was a treat yourself moment. <laughs> so like the new gear's resolution is treat treat yourself twenty twenty one. And I think uh, that's certainly if you're going to use it and you and you're active. I mean, fucking why not? Yeah. Yeah. It was cars. on a session the next day, and then um, I've used it several times since. So yeah. it's that's badass. Yeah. Love it, to hear it. 
And it's, it's I love those types of guitars where it's an electric um, that is very acoustic on its own. You know, it sounds yeah. great. It's light. You can pick it up, and and it's a great um, tool to just have in the room when you're writing or figuring out parts or harmonies, or whatever. Um, it. Dave and I were just talking about that. How important it is to have some sort of acoustic something yeah. around you while you're even if you know if you're working on something in the computer because there's always going to be something where you just want to hear a c note or whatever it is like you just got to get that pitch without pulling up a plug-in or something absolutely. like that so having just like a yeah re- nice resonant guitar around or a piano or something absolutely is a really really important thing that immediacy is is crucial i have a world mm-hmm. uh 200 right next to me that's just we were we before we got on with you we're like what yep. would be the perfect acoustic that's instrument to have in the control one. room whirly 200 yeah. okay yeah there it a little is. built-in <laughs> speaker and everything man absolutely yeah. and they and they're they're loud and clear acoustically on their own the tines exactly. just sound yeah, great they are. Mm-hmm. so uh, you can play it without even turning on like you know that you can't do that with a Rhodes. um right and it, it needs to be plugged in more so uh so yeah to me it's it's one of the most uh, perfect acoustic instruments to have in the room for you know for I, I'll, i've got i've got to add um because i'm looking at my yamaha cp70 in the other room right now i've got to add that to the mix but um they're just way fucking bigger i mean it's the size of like a small grand piano so yeah. it's not super pr- practical for right. most things but in terms of uh, electric pianos I, I've yeah got to plug the cp hell yeah all it's right yamaha made it i'm, I'm just going to keep this pushing here how many snakes would it take to defeat you how many snakes yep. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking audio snakes or real snakes well, that's up to your interpretation, my friend. <laughs> Shit. Um, I mean, depending on what type of snake, it could be. Okay, so, non non venomous, and you're in a small room. Oh. Got it. If it's non venomous, I I, th- I feel like constrictors freak me out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, seriously. But if it's non venomous and it's not a constrictor, then I'm I'm cool. Like I I don't necessarily have a phobia of reptiles or you know or yeah. insects so i grew up camping and you know my dad's an outdoorsman and he raised me to be pretty cool with wildlife so uh i don't know <laughs> i wouldn't like want to chill in there for a long time but i would say i'd be i'd be cool as a cucumber if as long as they weren't a constrictor and they they weren't famous <laughs> Perfect. All right. That's nice. a very fair, uh, totally fair answer. All right. This question comes from our previous ga- uh, guest, Danny Rabin. Uh, he would like to know, and um, this is, I think this is an interesting, mm, an interesting question. Yeah. When, when releasing something so, uh, original music, when do you decide to make it free? So, you know, in other words, when do you put it up on the streaming services versus just like leaving it behind some sort of gated system where you have to buy the record or mm-hmm. something like that? You're speaking of, of, of with my music. Yeah, like if you were to release a, an original piece of music, and you know you wanted to get it out there in the world, but it, it's like deciding, okay, how, how do we ba- balance this idea of sort of quote unquote free exposure versus actually trying to create some sort of actual income based on all the work and effort and money and blood and all that stuff you put into this piece that you've mm-hmm. created? Right. I think if I was going to do free, I would definitely. I think I would, the platform would really matter. Like I really love what mm-hmm. Bandcamp is doing these days, yeah. and mm-hmm. they they put you know focus on the artist first. Um, I, it, so I would rather, you know, if it's the right type of project where I just want to put it out and share it for, un, you know, non-monetary reasons, then, you know, it would have to be on a platform like that versus Spotify or something. But, sure. um, so, are, so th- is that to say then you're sort of entirely anti Spotify and in, in streaming services like no, that? No, I use Spotify every day, to be honest. It's a, it's a massive tool for me. Um, mm-hmm. but 
I, I also buy a lot of records. You know, I buy a right, lot of sure. v- vinyl from from artists, and uh, you know, would always try to support, especially going to live shows. You know, in the past. But you know, for me, I don't know. I think it's hard for me to to dis- to say because I typically work with a lot of other people's music. Yeah, and right. my own music that goes out is tends to be you know attached to a project like a film or something. So. Hmm. Um, you know, that's actually a goal of mine to work on more of my own music for music's sake, just to put it out there. So uh, perhaps a, 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 an issue you'll have to deal with a bit more in the future. Yeah. So you're think, already thinking about it now. Yeah, th- definitely thinking about it. And I already have some players in mind uh, to uh, to round it out with me. But yeah, that's it's it's definitely on my mind to, to get a project going at some point. Awesome. Uh, last question for this uh, round here, and that is <clears throat> what question would you like us to ask our next guest and you you know just someone else in the music world you don't get to know who it is just someone else that uh does music stuff and it you know it doesn't have to be a music question you can ask them wherever the hell you want yeah um i would hopefully it would be a songwriter and then you know because writing songs with lyrics is something that fascinates me because i don't get to do it enough i typically Hmm. work in instrumental uh music projects Unless it's with a band where I, you know, am producing, but it's not my own output typically, where I help them through the song, but it's their their vision and their arrangement. Right. Um, so, right now I'm reading, or I just started Tweety's book, How to Write One Song, and oh, I really want to check that out. So, you know, I think that that process really fascinates me of how people go from start to finish, you know, and what that means to them, and it's it, it will always be different for every every mm-hmm. artist. And, you know, sometimes it falls out of you and sometimes they really have to labor through it. And what are their systems to keep themselves honest and keep them uh, objective about what they're making and for the right reasons. So I would love to hear more about, you know, how people go through their their process of, of crafting a song. And and I love how Tweety framed it in one song because it, songs don't matter. It's if you can do one, you can do probably, you know, hundreds, a thousand. Yep. It's just about how do you. How do you treat the process? And uh, I love hearing about how how artists handle that process, start to finish. Me too. I, and I and, and you know everybody's wired a bit differently, but I think what I found at least is that most of us are very very good at starting songs, but not many of us are very good at finishing songs. Yeah, you get to that yeah. 90 percent so, mark, and then it's like, oh shit, I don't know. That's where I that's where I fall short a lot of the time. Yeah, and in some and you know I guess there's a bit of that is like, what does even a finished song mean? But I guess to the point of release, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, feeling yeah. confident enough to put it out in the world. That's I I think we all struggle with that. So that's a great question. Can't wait to ask it. I really admire people that can just not overthink and they they shoot from the hip and it feels right and they just go with it and yeah. and they complete and that's a that's a really hard thing to do to not get lost in the weeds of you know is this is this good is it am i on the right track um a few of my friends that i you know hold dear in, in the in the music scene they they're just brilliant with that and they just don't get in their own way and that's that's a rare thing yeah one thing that, because I, I this is it's a real struggle for me, and I'm totally <clears throat> this is really resonating with me, and I and I think something that's been helpful for me is finding a, a friend or a couple friends that <clears throat> you actually both r- really trust and also have a relationship with that you trust that that you can send them something for some feedback, and you know that they'll give you honest feedback. So some, having someone that you already like that is willing to give you the time, yeah, I'll check out that mix, and then give you some honest feedback, like oh this 
is awesome or this I, the base is broken or whatever it is just finding someone that you can rely on to get out of your own head a little bit has yeah. been pretty helpful for me in at least like feeling that first level of confidence like this isn't totally shit okay this is worthwhile and can i should continue pursuing this this particular path mm. yeah yeah that that's crucial and hearing what you don't want to hear is so inspiring um and it's 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 rare to have those people in your life where you can trust that they they're they're not going to fluff it for you they uh yeah and for me that's i I really have a you know a family of brothers in music with uh the composers at earhole we uh it's it's four of us and uh, there's our creative director eric and then matt david and and myself and uh we're a wide range of age and um you know we all have different backgrounds in music so our we have offset strengths and you know Mm -hmm. abilities and uh, David was actually a, a singer for years with Pat Metheny Group, and oh wow, oh uh, cool, you know, and the rest of us all, all do different things. So, uh, but we're all extremely close friends, and and um, I I really trust that it, you know anytime they have something to say, I'm going to listen to it because they uh, they they genuinely love music for or it, it just drives them. So you know if they're not going to just weigh in for uh, for the sake of weighing in. I always trust right, yeah, exactly, exactly what they what they say. So um, yeah, I, I feel you know whether I move on from your hole at some point or not. Like I feel like we're always going to have that family where I could send them a mix and say, "What do you think?" Or I'm working on this project, you know, don't know where to take it from here. Uh, you know, what do you think? You know, we're, I'll always have that that uh, system in place to to kind of bounce ideas off of, and I'm I'm oh. real thankful for that. <clears throat> yeah, that's that's beautiful. So perfect perfect transition. Um, you know, so you obviously you're working uh, at the studio, working specifically and doing a lot of this composing and, and film related stuff. How did you how did you get into that? Was that something that you kind of always intended on on working on as a musician, or or did that happen a, a bit more organically? Pretty organic, to be honest. Um, I, I've been a musician all my life, so it's just kind of been little incremental changes. You know, I got into music as a engineer and mixer. Um, so, and I never really sought out to be a composer, but then mm-hmm. in working with composers, you know, I would kind of soak soak in their instincts and different people. Uh, you know, like I worked for Steve Ford, uh, who was one of the biggest names in commercial music for years. In, in he was a household name and worked on all the big stuff. And then I would also work with uh, Tim Rutilli from Califone, who we would do a lot of independent film scoring and documentaries and things like that. And and those two composers were could not have been more different. So. You know, it really working with different composers. It really opened my eyes to bringing down the barriers of having to be, you know, like a conservatory trained type of right, musician. Exactly. And you know, and then when I see guys that are really DIY and they bring their own approach, I was like, wow, this it, there's no bounds of creativity. It's just if you have an idea, you know, then you figure out how to execute it. So um, it's it, I always realized I was a resourceful person so I just figured it you know if if I wanted to start doing it I would figure it out you know and but um composer is just one of those terms that you hear and it has this certain connotation and pomp with it yeah. where you're a composer and it's like <laughs> you there's this like very it's like this uh, exclusive uh invite only community and you have to go to special schools to do it and stuff so did, I mean did you you know obviously you're a musician you've already uh, showed us that much but like did you have to go to composer school and learn how to write on staff and all that kind of stuff no it's it's all been entirely homegrown um you know the guys that i work with at Earhole, 
I feel like we're all kind of a you know a band of of DIYers and uh, you know they're all extremely creative and and professional about it. But I think that's why I really felt at home to transition into this new phase of composing mm-hmm. uh, because. It just it just felt natural and, and it felt like they supported me and, and you know gave me the space to grow uh, because I was working with Eric our creative director uh, head composer for years as his dedicated engineer mixer and uh, session player you know to play guitar on a lot of his tracks and we would create stuff together and so then when he moved out to LA and he's still working with uh, with us out there so naturally that just kind of opened up room to grow right. in Chicago so of course, you know, I would, I just started working really hard to fill that role because I didn't want your hole to bring in somebody from the outside. You know, I was like that. I want that to be me. So right. I just started working at it and then started writing for commercials and started winning some of the gigs. And uh, that Jeep commercial that's on my reel was actually one of my first uh, compositions that I that I won and aired. So that's um, amazing. So I would love to dig into that process a little bit to sort of de- demystify it. So, okay. So like say Jeep has this commercial, do you all, does your agency or your studio already have a relationship with their creative agency? Like how do they even hear your composition to begin with? Well, that most of what we do is custom. So we are hired to then write specifically for a brief. Sure. Okay. So then, you know, the, it, most things just start with a relationship, um, you know, mm-hmm. Sometimes we work with with an agency for the first time, uh, but very often it's you know working with uh, people that are are repeat clients that we've worked with for years. So got it. Uh, and then so like so that piece in in particular, you know how much of what what we hear in in a commercial like that, you know how much of that is exactly what you originally composed, and how much of that is this sort of like designed by committee where they come back and maybe ask for something tweaked or different or something like that. Sure, that instance. In particular was I think I did one round of revisions and that was very close to the original demo and um, which doesn't always happen some you know some jobs continue to morph and the you know the concept changes throughout the project but that one was very close it, it was actually a, I, I couldn't believe how easy it was um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was, it was a good starting point to be honest because it it really uh, fueled that that new pursuit of trying to trying to compose. Mm-hmm. Sure. And so then, when you're 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 obviously you're writing, composing this, performing it. Are, are, is everything then also? Are you recording and performing everything that we hear in something like that? Like, how much of it is is your team and you? Like, how how does that sort of process work? Most projects, we all write demos to. Uh, you know, separately, where just, we'll have to provide options. You know, very often, ah, it's, okay. It, very often, it helps to. Or some some jobs are you know coming down to a very specific direction that would be very custom. So it wouldn't help to have options. It would just you know you start writing for what the project needs. But mm-hmm. like that project and a lot of projects require uh, options to help narrow down a direction with with a client and. Uh, so typically we all work together communicating, you know, the the concept and direction, but we all then go to our own corners and and create independently because we all all of us, you know, it's the modern composer, we just you kind of have to wear all hats. You have mm-hmm. to write, you have to record, you have to mix and, and master and send it off. So right. 
um, you know, the, the division of labor, I think, is happening less and less these days. And uh, okay. it's, it's Especially awesome. Especially with, I mean, the way plug, how good plug-in sample libraries and all that stuff sounds yeah. now. It's like, I mean, you can get away much more easily without hiring a group of people than yeah. you could have in the past. Right. So to answer your question, most of what you, or almost everything you see on my reel, you know, that's that's me start to finish. Uh, occasionally okay. there are a little um, involvement with other people, but yeah, it's usually just me playing all, playing everything and recording and mixing it. Totally. So uh, just to obviously, I mean, we are called gear buds. I want to get into a bit that stuff a bit <laughs> too. When you're thinking about uh, putting together, I mean, obviously you've been talking about the sort of evolution of your rig and, and constantly upgrading individual components, that sort of thing. Something that I'm curious about is, you know, what would like if if you're if you were thinking about putting together specifically a composer or like a film type mixing rig versus something like we might think of in a more sort of traditional mm. rock and roll studio environment? Like, are there are there certain pieces or things that you need to consider uh, to have a, a, a quote unquote proper sort of film rig versus something when it's just simply recording audio for you know a band in a room or something like that? Right. I think the most important part of that whole thing is what you know best I don't you know I, I think if there is a it's a it's sort of a separate conversation if someone's just starting out and they don't know they've never used a DIW before then no, totally not that yeah then you know sure there are maybe some suggestions here or there but um, I work every project primarily uh, or entirely in Pro Tools from start to finish MIDI okay. uh, arranging everything so you know and I know most a lot of film composers are in Logic, and uh, mm-hmm. and one of our guys, Adrian Hole, works in Logic uh, exclusively. But the rest of us are Pro Tools. So, you know, it, it just I think the the biggest argument in that question is is workflow and what you know best. So, you know, I've worked on the same set of main monitors for over ten years, and there's probably better speakers, but. I know these and I trust them. You, yeah, you're yeah, familiar. You're, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So the, I feel well, like the to, best gear is always point, what you know best. I, I That was sort of one of the things that I was thinking about too, specifically is monitoring, because I know a lot of what comes out in film TV is, isn't is just a stereo. There's a, a 5.1 or a 7.1 mix, that sort of thing. And right, like, yeah. for instance, you know, I was wondering, do you have to have a surround setup at home to mix this stuff? Mm. Do you have to have a sub to, be, to, right. to feel like you're doing this correctly? You know, because most of us, we just have a couple near field monitors sitting here, uh, you know, in front of us. And, and, and then you look at something like a something happening in some sort of film studio. And then often they'll have this crazy surround setup, And it's like, oh, shit, I can't do that. Sure. Yeah. I'll be honest. You know, at this point, most of what I do is stereo. Uh, the all the the films that I've done that are playing in film festivals, you know, like Four Corners and Patois and mm-hmm. some of these others, like it, it, those are all stereo at this point. Okay. So I, I've I haven't done any work where it transitions into film where I have to start mixing in a different way from you know earlier on the process. Uh, some a lot of our commercial stuff is finished in in five point one. Um, and one of my other teammates, uh, Beto, he does a lot of 5.1 mixing. So, um, but almost entirely everything on my end is stereo. So, and okay. you know, the pedal movie we we mix entirely in stereo. And that was my one of my first questions from the start. You know, working with Michael, uh, you know, are we doing this in stereo or surround? Because mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. would definitely dictate where we do it. Um, exactly. Right. But. Um, it's a perfect transition. I would love to hear some more about that process. So you do, you just you just you're just wrapped on that then with the audio side of things. Yeah, yeah. So um, 
I uh, I'm probably under strict uh, you know no uh, spoiler alerts. Uh, sure, of course. Right. But um, but yeah, Michael and I go way back. Uh, he he directed and produced along with um, you know some of the other guys and John Gagin, the editor. Uh, he and I used to play in a band together, and uh, so we that's how we know each other is through the music scene. And um, so they brought me in, and it was a it was a real pleasure to work on because you know I'm a guitar player, so I would I would watch this film gladly any day of the week so <laughs> right. to work on it it's like, gonna be a dave's doc yeah obviously. speaking of dave's docs man we're, we're waiting for that one excited. yeah oh and it's good man it's it's really damn good i uh, i'm really excited for it to to get out in the world i think really can't wait yeah yeah Me too so uh I, okay just like the process of mixing something like that you know obviously there's there's going to be some already pre-mixed like music happening from from things that are going on and then you've also got all this sort of audio like voiceover stuff like how do you how do you even approach that is it just like throwing a stereo track in pro tools and then just going with it like i i'm so in the dark about how all that works i don't even know sure i mean there's over 100 voices in that film so you know and it's it's pretty steady dialogue throughout so Mm -hmm. this was the first project that i've worked on with that many different elements where uh, that had to be made to sound cohesive you know it, I've worked on shorter projects where you know you don't have to worry about track counts and CPU mm-hmm. and things like that but with this film um, I actually had to div- kind of create a new system for myself and there was a little bit of experimentation to begin with of figuring out what that system would be so you know, I it, and I'm sure that would be wildly different for everybody. But of course, yeah, uh, because I couldn't just have one dedicated track for every single voice. So you know, I ended up having maybe five dialogue tracks where, uh, you know, they all had different EQ and and tone shaping. And then I had a spreadsheet of voices, and every time I would land on a new voice that I or you know a voice that repeats that I've already mixed and made a decision of where that lands, mm-hmm. uh, then I would, you know, check the spreadsheet and put on the same track. And then I actually made some upgrades throughout the mixing process where, because I, you know, I, through COVID, it's, it's just been a very different process these days of working from home and then being forced into continuing high profile projects uh, from home. So thankfully, mm-hmm. you know, I have a home studio, but so that pro- the transition was easy for me, but I found the need to make several upgrades as I was mixing that film. For instance, uh, the you know I, I'd always worked in Pro Tools Standard at home, but I immediately knew I'm going to need extra options to work with for flexibility. Yeah. Like I know I'm going to need more than one video track on the timeline. So I at the very beginning of that project, I updated to uh, Pro Tools Ultimate, which mm-hmm. you know I use downtown every day, but I never had it at home. Right. So, and you know that that ability to be able to have uh, clip effects was it I couldn't have done it without it because then if I have hundreds of dialogue tracks and then they are all um, you know mixed within these five or six dialogue tracks uh, then you can only customize so so much so then each voice has their own preset that I could then load you know for every uh Every time I run into that voice again, I apply that same EQ curve and adjust it. You know, so everything was very highly customized throughout mm-hmm. the film, but I just had to make those changes as I went. 
you know, so that's that's really fascinating. I, and as someone that edits, you know, an hour and a half of and tons of dialogue every week, I, I definitely got a little overwhelmed when you said hundred voices. I was like, yeah, oh, shit. So <laughs> yeah. I guess did you when you were when you were organizing that? Is it did you kind of do it by like timbre or something? Like, okay, I've got like a, a lower male track, and here is like the highest uh, pitched voice, and then like you would match them up that way. Like, how did you even approach that? Yeah, and it was kind of just instinct, you know. You and I, my f- my first few days of working on it, I uh, I was just sort of experimenting with the best approach, and I kept adjusting that. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I would say the it started with four tracks because I instantly realized I'm not going to have be able to have every, you know a track for every voice. So like I did with music, almost every music track has its own track um, because I had to have dedicated approach with that. But for mm-hmm. voice, because they kept reoccurring throughout the film, then I was able to, you know, combine them on certain tracks. But okay, so each sure. track, there was like, you know, voice track bright one, uh, voice track bright two, uh, and then dark one, dark two, uh, noisy one, noisy, or noisy bright one, noisy dark one, or two, you know. And so, like, I just kind of created these little camps or categories to work within. And, and then, you could make some sort of like maybe some generalized EQ or gating or noise moves or whatever on those. And then, as you mentioned, apply these specific clip effects based on what the voice was. Exactly. It was a combination of blanket treatment across, mm-hmm. you know, so if there were maybe 30 voice different voices on one track, then they're all going through the same EQ compression DSing, uh, but then to do the broad strokes. And then the minutia is created or is handled within the clip effects of right. um, okay. preset EQs such customized a, such a smart for each voice. Such a smart approach. Yeah. I love that. It makes so, so much sense as you're explaining that. It, it almost kind of, in some ways, reminds me of like the Michael Brower Browerizer method of like having these different buses for certain things that you then feed to. Yeah. Oh man, what a what a creative mind. Um, but I should I should. Uh, it's important to note that I. You know, part of the reason of this system that I created for mixing this film was based on limitations I had within my, uh, you know, with my computer. Mm-hmm, sure. uh, toward the end, I actually upgraded my computer to now an <laughs> iMac Pro, where CPU cores are the sky's the limit. I have way more processing Plenty, yeah. than I need, and but I started with a 2013 iMac, where processing and you know all that was was limited. So I really mm-hmm. had to work with what I with the limitations I had. So um, I think that's the the most fun thing about each project is the projects always dictate the process. And uh, this is the type of project where I, you know, I, I had to come up with a whole new system. It it, it kind of yeah. it created a like a new um, career for me. Whereas like this is something I've never done before. I mean, I've mixed films, but not in this capacity. So it's. Right. Uh, the project tells you what it needs and then you adjust accordingly. And uh, I love that. That's, I mean, other than the sort of obvious hardware uh, changes, do you think, do you imagine, or have you seen already that some of these process changes or maybe even improvements, whatever you want to call them, do you feel that trickling into your other outlets and your other composition, the works that you're doing? Absolutely. 100%. I think, you know, working well, working in advertising, you know, I've worked in music for records, I've worked in film scores, I've worked in uh, music for commercials. 
they all influence each other, you know, across pollinates. The process, like me recording uh, Tony the Tiger in a voice voiceover session, you know, being able, like, that's more of a librarian approach where you have to be taking notes as you go. You have to edit on the spot. You have to mm-hmm. work with a client. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's there's a whole service uh, process approach as well. And so that, you know, that experience directly informs or inspires uh, improves how I would then work with a singer, you know, in a, in a vocal ah, session. Sure. Right, right. Because then, you know, everything is done on the spot. I comp as I go, I give feedback and it's a, it just makes you that much more, um, I don't like leaving things for later. You know, I like to know that when I leave a session, that's the version. And right. so, um, working in advertising and, you know, commercial stuff is, has been one of the be- biggest educations I've ever had because, you know, I went to school for graphic design and illustration. I, I never went to school for music production until after th- that program. I just did a short little, you know, trade school uh, uh, music production and post-production for film, which was just like a one-year program. So then my whole education was was in my career. Um, so working in so many different types of projects and advertising mm-hmm in so many different styles of music and actually working directly with clients in a service industry, you know, it, that really was, that it uh, improves every other project to, uh, you know, that it's not just about the production process. There's so much, that's the biggest thing I've learned is that there's so much around what I do that is so much more important than the actual recording mixing. You know, it's, it's the relationship, it's, it's the uh, punctuality. It's the you know just creating a fun environment to work within, and you know all those little things. It's just it's yeah. always that always wins over whether you're the best you know execution in town or not. Mm-hmm. Well said. That's uh that's pretty inspiring. It's yeah because it it again we we sort of touched on it sometimes. If it can feel like these sort of exclusive communities, and if you don't have certain credentials or requirements that the door is closed to you but it sounds like yeah as long as you you, you have sort of an idea what you want to do you work hard you do what you've got to do to learn the things you need to learn then those those doors are able to be open mm-hmm. um love love it so i know we're definitely running up on time here i want to let you go but also before we do um we have one thing we haven't gotten to yet and i think it's pretty cool and i want to hear a bit more about it you, you're involved in this thing um just from checking out your your instagram uh creative mornings um, yeah, yeah. What is, what's going on with that could you tell us a little bit about that sort of program i feel like it's the the most out in the open best kept secret <laughs> in, in chicago because i it's been going on for, I, I had never heard of it before but yeah. it seems fucking cool i i've been volunteering with them for over two years now and when i went uh, I heard about it, uh, I don't know, yeah, over two years ago, because a friend of mine uh, was gonna was a speaker at it, and went. So he posted about it and said, "Hey, I'm speaking at this thing." So I went and saw him, and I was like, "Holy shit, I, this is so cool! How have I never heard about this before?" But mm. uh, so it's kind of under the radar, and may, maybe it's just because it operates in the morning. Who knows? But. Right. Uh, yeah, most most uh, the art artists are uh, not known for being awake super early in the morning. <laughs> yeah, so it's a live speaker series uh, globally, and there's chapters in cities all over the country, all over the world, and uh, every every month it's the last Friday of every month in the morning, and uh, it operates with the same theme globally every month. So, um, you know, then each chapter operates independently. 
to then decipher what that theme mean, that month means to them and that they mm-hmm. choose a speaker and a venue based on you know those parameters so and that changes every month you know one uh, you know before covid one month we might have uh, Kevin Koval at this venue uh, I think we were at WeWork at that time another was my close friend Ricardo uh, at the MCA and okay. you know so it, each month changes, but um, everybody's 100% on the team is 100% uh, volunteer uh, based, Great. and uh, so we all just kind of do it out of a labor of love. And, but, and I guess sort of like, what's the overall mission of the of the organization? It's it's to open ideas and talk about creativity and hear people's okay. stories and process. And uh, it's it's really cool to be let behind the curtain of of what people do, because those are all transferable uh, ideas. You know, like if one month we might have an architect, uh, another we might have a photographer, a painter, civil rights activist, um, you know, uh, sustainable green, um, you know, work. And so yeah. it, it's it's all transferable. I think you know, hearing about what other people do just informs what you know we can incorporate that into our own ventures. So uh, it's been really inspiring yeah. to. Uh, to hear whatever the other people do in that regard. So does this, does that mean there's a? Well, I guess shit. This is going to be coming out on Monday, but for us, is that does that mean tomorrow Friday would be the the next one? Yes, yes. Um, and what t- what time are those usually? Uh, do those take place? It starts at eight thirty in the morning. Oh, cool! I'm cool. definitely gonna check that out. Yeah, I'll send you a link. Please do. And if anybody else uh, wanted to check it out, what link would you send them? It would be. Uh, let's, I'm pretty sure it's creativemornings.com forward slash Chicago. Cool. Uh, and I'm sure if, if you're not in Chicago, like most of our listeners are not, there's other nearby versions of that you can seek out yourself because it sounds like a fucking amazing program. Yeah, and I can't wait right. to check it out tomorrow. Cool. Colin, thank you so much for being out with us, man. This is, I seriously, thank I could you, I could keep this going for another hour and a half. Yeah, so me too. Yeah. Really, like really, really, yeah. I really appreciate you actually taking the time to, to talk to us and share some knowledge and, and give us a little bit of insight. I know we can't share too much about the pedal movie, but um, we're all fucking excited for that to come out. Yeah. So um, if you wanted to, anybody listening to this, if they wanted to maybe get in contact with you to do some work together or just learn more about the stuff that you're, you're working on, where would you send them on the web? Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, my website was eaten up by GoDaddy, they squashed the company that I had before, Ooh. so I, <laughs> they bought it out, and uh, now I, I'm putting together a new one. So it in the future it will be ColinSipus.com, but uh, at this point you can also go to Vimeo.com uh, forward slash ColinSipus, uh, and also um, yeah, those are the two best places. Yeah, um, Google Perfect. me. I'm pretty Googleable. We'll just look for a really handsome Hungarian man, and you'll find him. <laughs> Colin, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks I wish, again, you know, man. obviously, wish we could we could be doing this in person. We're not there yet, but we're working on it. So maybe by the time we are back to doing stuff in the studio, we can uh, get you back on. Yeah. and talk some more crap. Uh, I'd love that. It's a real pleasure chatting with you guys. Really, uh, really appreciate you having me on. This was a blast. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, and of course, you know, we'll provide all the updates and links when um, both because now Creative Mornings, I'm super on board. I can't wait to check it out. And then also uh, the pedal movie, just because that's very relevant to yeah. us so, so thanks again for, for being on out. man yeah. me too and yeah. uh you know just wanted to say uh go make some music <laughs>